Okay, we're going to look at Psalm 90 this morning. The text is there on the next page of the bulletin. There are some Bibles in the back if you'd like one of those. Uh, This is the final Sunday in Advent, and so we're finishing our series, our Advent series, where we've been looking at some of the uh, how long cries that are in the Psalms. Uh, The cry, how long? Uh, It looks to the future, and it believes that there will be a day when God comes to save us. That's fundamentally what's happening with any of the Psalms. It's crying out, how long, to God. Uh, Looking to the future, there will be a day when God comes to save us. We're waiting for it. It's a cry of pain and desperation, sometimes frustration, as we endure, as we wait for the fulfillment that comes with God's arrival, as we wait for the relief and the deliverance that comes with God's arrival. But uh, that cry, how long? It's a bold cry. It's born of hope in God. And those who have no hope in God will not cry that cry. They will not cry out to God, how long? Our psalm today includes the very boldest cry of hope, that God would come and do something about his own wrath, his own curse of death that we justly suffer for our sin. Uh, it's actually hard to believe that God would welcome this prayer, but here it is, the fully authorized word of God teaching us and inviting us to howl this prayer to him. So let's learn how to pray about death and the wrath of God and how the gospel, the coming of God's Son into the world, is the answer to this prayer. Let's talk about that. Let's uh, first pray. And then we'll read Psalm 90. Father, teach us now how to use this psalm in our relationship with you in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Yahweh. How long? Have pity on your servants. 
Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This psalm is a prayer for the wisdom that comes from reflecting on death, from contemplating the reality of our own personal mortality. Verse 12, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. So the psalm teaches us how to pray about death, how to wrestle with God over death. We're not talking about, you know, just this morbid fascination with death that we're cultivating. We're talking about praying for God's help to face what we must face. For God's help to face what we cannot face. We must consider our mortality and the brevity of our lives, but it is very difficult for us to think about death. In fact, it's impossible to truly face death apart from our relationship with God. So, as with all things, we need to bring our mortality into our relationship with God in prayer. So, this psalm uh, jolts us into this impossible place of praying about death. The first verses uh, warmly introduce such a beautiful theme. The eternal God is our home. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. So the scriptures reveal the one true God, Yahweh, the eternal God, to be the creator of all things. He is high and exalted. He is majestic and holy and transcendent, but he is not distant or removed or impersonal. He is and always has been our dwelling place. As Paul says in Acts, in him we live and move and have our being. He's closer than your next breath. The eternal triune God of love is more truly our dwelling place, our home, than this world that he's made that we live in. Yahweh crafted us intimately, forming the very first human from the dust, from the dust of the earth, breathing his own breath of life into him so that the man became a living soul. And Yahweh gave us this life to be lived with him. He created us for a relationship with himself to enjoy a close personal communion. But then something went very wrong, and this psalm helps us to feel the shock of it. It's like a dislocated shoulder that pops out a joint with this sickening pain. In verse 3, after such a beautiful beginning, you return man to dust and say, return. O children of man. The story of humanity had such a beautiful beginning, but then it took this dark turn so quickly. And this is, of course, a reference to God's curse on the first man that he created, returning him to dust. Life means relationship with the eternal God of love. God warned Adam that violating that relationship would mean his death. But Adam and his wife ignored God's word. They broke God's word. And so God cursed Adam as the representative of the human race. 
He says in Genesis 3 to Adam, you will return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So God was saying to Adam, I gave you life to be lived with me. You rejected that. You rejected this life. You, you reached for life apart from me, which is death. So it means the undoing of your life. And now your body will expire and you'll be buried in the ground. You'll return to the ground and you'll disintegrate back into the dust from which I formed you. So death was God's curse upon us for our sin. Death is not natural. Death didn't belong in God's good creation from the beginning. We might try to convince ourselves that death is a natural part of life. You hear it a lot. People are trying to convince themselves of that in this desperate attempt to cope with the unbearable reality of death. But we have to try to convince ourselves about that. We still feel how unnatural death really is. We're often shocked and surprised when we're confronted to, to, to remember the reality of death when it strikes around us as if we didn't expect it to be true after all. It just feels like such an inconceivably wrong thing. And in some sense, that's exactly what it is. It's the worst thing in the world, and it's our fault. That's clear from the scriptures. We invited death into the world. We embraced death. Adam did it first as our representative, but each one of us has since done the very same thing. We had a choice between life and death, and we chose death. If God is our true and eternal life, and we chose anything but him, we chose not God, then we chose not life. Death is what we wanted. And death is what we deserve because of our sin. But death isn't only self-inflicted. Death is God's curse. Death is the manifestation of the wrath of the God of love. It says in verse 7, We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. A God who intimately formed us for relationships of close personal communion with himself is the God who cursed us with death for our rebellion against his love. So death is surrounding us, pressing in, getting closer every day, unraveling everything in our lives. Death is inescapable, which really is to say that the wrath of God is inescapable. The wrath of God is inescapable. People will try to deny the reality of God's wrath, the, the reality of God's holy anger over sin. That doesn't actually help anyone escape the reality of it. We have to face the reality of death, and we have to face it as the expression of God's wrath that it is, the wrath of the God whose love we have violated through our sin. We have to bring the reality of our death into our relationship with God, and wrestle with him over it. Not to give death the consideration it deserves, but to give Yahweh the consideration he deserves, the fear he deserves. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? It's a God-centered consideration of his, of his wrath and death. 
So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Wisdom for life with God, the God of love, is about the fear of the God of love. We have to face the reality of Yahweh's wrath in light of who he is, according to the fear of him, in a relationship with him. And that's one of the bold things about this psalm. If sin means that we've rejected all that, we've rejected life with God, we've walked away from him, then how can we face death in a relationship with God? How can we pray to God at all? How can we go to the creator whose holy love we have spurned, under whose wrath we justly wither and die, and ask him to come and help us? How can we cry and howl to him, how long? How long will we suffer your anger? How long will we wither and die under your wrath? It's our most desperate cry, and it's about the worst thing that we suffer in this world. But how can we hope? How can we even come to expect that God will do something about death? In fact, the prayer that we're taught to pray is unbelievably audacious. You think death is inconceivable. This prayer redefines the word inconceivable. Verse 13, return, O Yahweh, how long have pity on your servants? Return. What does that mean? Return. I mean, at first glance, it just sounds like, well, God was with us, and then he went away, and we're asking him to come back, right? It seems like we're asking God to come back to help us. But that word, specific word return, is a particular word we've already seen in this psalm. We've seen it used twice, repeated unnecessarily, for emphasis, In verse 3, you, God, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. That's the same word we find twice in the original curse in Genesis 3 when God told Adam that he would return to the ground, that he would die, that he would be undone, that he'd be dead and buried. Do you see it? For our sin, God cried out to us in his wrath, return. For our salvation from his wrath, we're taught to cry out to God, return. O Yahweh, how long until you return? How long until you are undone, dead, and buried in the ground? How dare we pray this prayer? But we have to pray it. It is the only way to pray for God to have pity on us for our sin against him. A few of my pastor friends uh, have recently recommended a long poem by W.H. Auden. The poem is called, For the Time Being, A Christmas Oratorio. And part of that poem goes this way. He says, We who must die... Demand a miracle. How could the eternal do a temporal act, the infinite become a finite fact? Nothing can save us that is possible. We who must die demand a miracle. We must die. 
It's God's righteous and inescapable wrath that we die for our sins. How do we escape what's inescapable? How can we ask God to deliver us from his own holy anger that we justly deserve? We impose upon him with terrible audacity. We demand a miracle of his pity. We ask that he would come and be undone. We ask that he would become one of us so that he could be undone, so that he could face what we cannot face. We ask that he would do the impossible and become killable and die and be buried for us. We ask that he would come and meet the divine doom of wrath in our place. This is how you face death in relationship with Yahweh. You ask the God of love to take his own unbearable curse for you. This is how he teaches us to pray about death and his wrath. If you're praying for God to save you, this is what you're asking for. And the good news is, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we already have it revealed to us just how the God of love has fulfilled this terrible prayer. In the incarnation of the Son of God, we have the miracle that we so desperately needed, the miracle we demanded. The eternal became temporal. The infinite became also finite. God became also a man. The Lord of life died. The Holy One returned to the ground taking the sinner's curse upon himself. God cursed us to return to the dust, and then he himself provided the sacrificial substitute to return to the ground in our place. God told us to return. We cry to him to return, and those words meet in the mercy of Jesus Christ, in his cross and in his grave. He pitied us. And he came to do something about death as the manifestation of divine wrath. It doesn't mean he came to stop death. He didn't stop death. He didn't just eradicate it, not at first. Anyway, in Jesus Christ, Yahweh came to suffer it. To suffer death as one of us. To suffer the curse for us on our behalf. To save us from the terrible fate that we had chosen apart from him. Jesus did something about death. He did something wonderful. He took the sting of God's wrath right out of it. Finally and forever. For those who belong to Christ by faith, your death no longer means that God is angry with you. The divine wrath that we deserve because of our sin, it's been diverted away from us once and for all and utterly poured out on Jesus at the cross. So whatever death is now, it no longer means a severed relationship between a holy God and his people. In fact, Jesus did something even more wonderful about death. He has transformed it into an opportunity to know him. A place to meet him, a communing place. Death was the epitome of utter isolation from God. But because the Lord Jesus has gone there, because he's gone to the grave, it's become a place for relating to God. We're not alone in death. God is with us, which means it's not truly death anymore. It's not the true death. Not death is defined by the end of our relationship with God. In fact, Jesus has done even more about death. He's led us through it and out the other side. And he's turned it into a passage that conducts us directly into his immediate and glorious presence. 
Because Jesus endured death in the grave and because God the Father raised him bodily from the dead and transported him far above all the heavens to his right hand, and because Jesus is our dwelling place and we abide in him, then what is true of him will also be true of us. We will wake from that sleep. We will be raised bodily from the dead. We will live forever with him in the new heavens and the new earth of his making. That thing that is inconceivably wrong about the world, Yahweh has even more inconceivably made right through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. This life uh, feels all too short. The eternal God will make, uh, make it satisfyingly long in his company. He will satisfy us in the morning, in the dawn of his resurrection, with his steadfast love. He will make us glad for as long as we have suffered and forevermore. We will rejoice in eternity beyond the reach of death forever. If you would truly consider the reality of death and number your days, as the psalm says, don't forget to consider the innumerable days added to your lifespan by the pity of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would have true wisdom for life with God, even the ability to face death in relationship with God, you are dependent on the grace of the Lord Jesus. He is your dwelling place from everlasting to everlasting. God brings our lives to an end, but in Christ, he meets us there in the ground. He brings us through that end. He raises us from the dust. Glory. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we have done a terrible thing in our sin beyond our knowing. And you have done a fearful thing in your salvation beyond our knowing. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are our eternal home. Your steadfast love endures forever, even in death and through it. So we pray that you would teach us what death has meant in our relationship with you. We pray that you would teach us what relationship with you means in light of the death of your son, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.